0: You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. And fun fact here, because we're live at the, well... We're live. You're listening to this later on, like weeks later. But we're live at the uh, III conference in San Antonio, Texas. So today's fun fact comes about the Alamo. Uh, So a couple years ago, uh, District Attorney uh, Susan Reed uh, made a statement, don't whiz on the Alamo. Because the Alamo is made of limestone and urine uh, can cause severe damage to it. So you may be faced with 18 months in prison for whizzing on the Alamo, so don't whiz on the Alamo. Um, I'm glad
1: you told me. Uh, that okay. <laughs> actually was my my plans tonight.
0: <laughs> All right, glad, glad I saved you from 18 months yeah, in uh, yeah. in Texas prison.
1: Yeah, which is probably a felony, as we. <laughs>
0: Inside joke for those at the comments All um, right, so. Um, Get right into it. We usually. Oh com- no, I'm we- going to complain. Oh, you're going to complain? Yeah, and well, no. Okay, you have right. something first. So we okay. are at
1: the vendor. We're in the vendor hall. Clearly, okay. that's all the sound okay. in the background. And yeah. we like to do it live in the vendor hall. If, you, if you're not here or weren't at the conference, you get the little excitement and the energy of being here ish. Uh, so yeah, we're at the vendor hall and all the great vendors that are here. Um, however, they did run out of red wine, so Glenn is grumpy. Glenn is <laughs> not a happy camper. They have their sweet, sweet white wine, and I should accept it, but I'll I'll power through and I'll suffer for the rest wow. of the, the for the, the episode. Complaining
0: but I about free wine—that's um, that's that's something new, Glenn. That's something new. I know. I um, I, I I always try to keep it new and interesting. Well, and I've uh, I've got my glass of wine here. I, the only thing I'm missing is white a st- wine. It yes, yes white wine. But I, I, the only thing I'm missing is a straw to drink it from. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Mike. I'm kidding, of course. Grumpy Glenn is done. Okay. So uh, we have here uh, a first guest we're going to start talking to about just kind of what they've seen in the conference so far. Uh, So, Morgan, why don't you introduce yourself to the uh, podcast audience?
2: Sure. My name is uh, Morgan Hayes. Uh, I am the Crime Laboratory Analyst Supervisor at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and uh, I've been with the, the FDLE as they are known. I've been with the FDLE agency for 16 years, and I've been a supervisor of the latent print section for the last nine years. And this is my third II conference. Oh, Fantastic, and and
0: well, and uh, but how many Florida division conferences have you been to? That's the real question. Oh gosh, Florida uh, is known for their division conferences. Yeah,
2: Florida division. Uh, I've probably have been to, I want to say right around 10 of them, for uh, thereabouts.
0: There you go. Yeah.
2: All right. So, um,
0: and you, you, as a supervisor, though, you we were talking earlier, you still actually do comparisons, right?
2: Yeah, I, I'm one of the few left. That I still do casework. I enjoy doing the casework. Um, I think it's important for me to stay doing the casework. I think it allows me to, you know, kind of keep in touch with what my uh, um, employees are, are, you know, what challenges they face with casework. Um, you know, everybody's going to accreditation nowadays, and, you know, Uh, how accreditation uh, requirements impact casework, efficiencies of casework, and things like that. I think it gives me kind of a unique perspective as a supervisor because I also work the cases, so I'm beholden to those same requirements, those accreditation requirements.
0: That's great. I could only wish and hope that uh, more labs kept uh, supervisors still at least partially active uh, in casework, but then it also you know requires having enough supervisors per actual examiner to you know kind of keep up with all the people so that they they can keep up with their supervisor duties as well. So
1: it keeps you grounded. I mean, as, as you said, because. You you live by your sword and also die by yours.
2: Absolutely, I mean, absolutely, and and I think also it's something that because I enjoy the science and I enjoy fingerprints, and I enjoy comparing prints. I, I you know I think it's something that I look forward to. Actually, I look forward to doing casework because sometimes it gives me a break from the monotony of being a supervisor. You know, approving yep. timesheets can get very boring. Um, yeah. You know, doing a casework and, and within fingerprints, I've discovered each case you open up is unique you never know what kind of evidence you're going to see what kind of case it is what kind yep. of print you're going to see so it's really really fresh I mean I, and I like I really enjoy that aspect of it well and
0: things are changing even now so fast that if you haven't been actually doing the casework over the past few years you know you may not really fully appreciate and understand all the challenges that the, your examiners are facing if you're not in that same boat doing comparisons with them
2: I would absolutely agree. As a supervisor and as someone who's doing the casework, I mean, things are changing very rapidly in our field right now, you know, like most sciences. But I think in forensic science, with with all the popularity of the TV shows and books and things (laughs) like that, that drives a lot of it. I think a lot of people are more aware of what forensic science is now because of that. And it kind of pushes us to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And I think being a supervisor and being involved on both sides of, of the coin, if you will, it, it it helps your mindset. It helps you know that, you know, every case you work, you want to produce a high quality work. You want the answer to be right because you know that you're dealing with a lot of people's livelihoods on the line every case that you work. So it's very important that we stay uh, uh, involved in the new technologies coming out a lot of the new methodologies and coming to the ii conferences is a fantastic way to share ideas share information and and you know take things back to your home base and say you know let's look at things differently can we do things better i think this is a really good forum for that to happen
1: so in recent times what would you say is probably one of the more difficult adjustments you brought back to your lab and you're introducing now and there's a little bit of we're not sure how this is going to go
2: Yeah, we always get, I mean, as a supervisor, I always get pushback on, you know, changes obviously are hard for a lot of examiners to accept because you kind of get dogmatic, you get set in your ways. I think the increasing amount of documentation that we see nowadays is a lot different than what it used to be back in the day. Even though I've only been in forensics for 16 years, I still know enough that... You know, when I first started, people used to just hand write stuff out on notebook paper, on line notebook paper, and now that <laughs> very rarely happens anymore. You know, now you see the documentation levels are going up. There's a new layer. Almost every year, there's a new layer of documentation added.
0: Some of us may still be using line paper for some of the documentation.
1: <laughs> just saying. So, you were at the conference all week so far, and uh, I know it's only the se- end of the second day, but... What have you learned? What What would you say so far was something new, a new piece of information you learned, and went, that's pretty cool. Didn't know
2: that. Um, I think one of the, the one of the uh, most important things I've seen consistently from the first day to the second day is there's been a lot of discussion, at least from my perspective as a latent print examiner, a lot of discussion on exclusions. Hey, that's great. And, you know, I think that's important because, you know, historically over the last, say, 14 years, you know, since the Madrid-Spain bombing case, there was always a lot of talk in our discipline about erroneous identifications. And I think that exclusions is one of those things where we really haven't given a lot of thought and you know, erroneous exclusions. But that's the other side of the coin in what we do because, again, we try to strive to get it right. You know, that's what we want to do. Um, Yesterday, uh, Michelle Gish had a nice panel discussion on the It's Not Him, which was really interesting because it was a panel discussion involving people from footwear and tire, DNA, as well as facial identification, and talking about how... Um, exclusions are handled in those disciplines from not only the comparison aspect of it, but also reporting and, and standards and policies and things like that. So I thought that was really eye-opening to see how other disciplines handle those exclusions and the challenges that they that they are facing in uh, documenting and reporting out the exclusions. Um, today, I sat in with you, your talk, Eric, on exclusions and whatnot, and I learned a lot on there that even from over the last couple of years of seeing you talk and talk about exclusions, again, you know, like when you're talking about moving the graph, the changing of the graph and retesting hypotheses and changing the hypothesis testing, not only thinking of it from an aspect of identification, but also incorporating the hypothesis testing of exclusion, I just thought that was phenomenal. I hadn't it really opened my mind. I didn't really think about that aspect of it. But now that I see that. It's now. I want to take that back with me. That's like a whole new world. So thank you for, for sharing that. Oh,
0: no, thank you very much. I, I I um I've been I've been making some of those points for a couple of years now in the, the three day class that I teach, but I, I kind of realized um, you know last year when it was time to sign up for uh, you know presenting lectures, I hadn't really made those points in an AI conference before. So I really wanted to uh, to to put something together that i could present to uh for just you know again the community more at large to, to make some of these points about uh like you said hypothesis testing for exclusions uh and separating that from hypothesis testing for ids but then also some of the research that's been out in the past couple years really
2: suggesting what we should consider as sufficiency for exclusion so that's uh, great i think it's very important because because there's been so much focus on erroneous identifications, I mean, from a lot of our critics out there who are publishing and talking and speaking and whatnot, there's a lot of dialogue surrounding erroneous identifications, and I just don't think that you know erroneous exclusions are getting the attention that I think that it deserves. They really
0: are starting to because there's a new paper out from Simon Cole, you know, really talking specifically about how erroneous exclusions can be a problem for innocent you know, innocent people that are accused as well. And, and how that can lead to some of the some of the same problems and how that can be an issue for the innocence project uh, as well to deal with so I think you're right that it really is kind of coming into its own as a thing to be considered um, as well so uh, anything else uh, uh, that really kind
2: of came up over the past couple of days uh, today I attended a lecture from Rebecca Heinrich uh, who gave a fantastic lecture about verification okay cool um, and she had sent out a brief survey only 10 questions. Um, But some of the data that she was able to gather back and look at was pretty eye-opening. For example, you know, one of the questions that she asked was how many people felt confident about their policies on verification. And a very large majority, I want to say it was roughly 85%, felt very confident about their policies on verification. But one of the eye-opening aspects that she presented was when she asked people if they trusted their verifier. And about 17% 17 of people responded back saying they don't trust their verifier that was something amazing that she saw and when i was, she presented that data at the at the lecture today i was taken aback by it as well because that's huge i mean you know we often talk about in in latent print examiners you know when you hand a case over for verification you know a you want to know that that person is qualified to do the verification but also there's also the element of do you trust that person to do the verification and in some instances in some labs that verification process is taken out of your hands maybe your case file you hand it to your supervisor and then the supervisor picks who verifies the case not necessarily you pick who verifies the case so that's trust aspect of it is something that i don't think that we've really kind of thought about as you know
1: so when we say trust, what exactly are we getting at here? You don't trust that they will put the same amount of time in that you put so for searching, so they may, you know, maybe not doing a full enough search, or that maybe your comparison skills push the envelope a little bit and maybe they're not... They, you know they're gonna go inconclusive when you win ID what it what, it, what are we specifically drilling down on trust well
2: that was one of the things that she talked about and she didn't really flesh out that in her survey but I think that's an avenue that can be researched um, because uh, you know that's one aspect of it I think another aspect of it is you know is the person who's performing the verification are they a routine regular latent print examiner or maybe they're primarily a crime scene person who kind of moonlights as a latent print examiner so they don't really see and look at as much as a full-time latent print examiner would look at and so that's another aspect of it as well, yeah. Um, I think there's a whole lot of information there that can be looked at. You know, who's doing the verification? How often are they verifying? And and what's their what's their qualifications for doing that verification?
0: Yeah. I uh, I was uh, teaching a couple years ago in Indiana, and they had a really interesting uh, model set up. They basically picked one of the people that the kind of the group at all four labs across the state for the, the state agency.
1: Um, sorry, I interrupted Eric by signaling a <laughs> special wave to Alice White. Yes, a friendly wave. Yep, it just happened that, to be one finger, but that's, it, was, it was a wave.
0: Uh, that's staying in, I guess. Um, uh, anyway, uh, they basically picked one person, so all four labs have one person that basically does all of the verifications um, and all of the reviews as to what's sufficient, what should be sufficient or not for comparison. And um that's a, that's a really interesting position to be in um, and to have that kind of trust from everybody in the unit. But you also kind of get a standard uh, approach from the examiner. Everyone knows kind of what to expect. You can't give it to the person that's not going to really take a close look at it because everyone's kinda of picked this person to be the one that reviews everything.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to verification, like in my own lab, and I always tell my trainees that I look at verification as, you know, when I talk about trust and kind of going back to Glenn's question, you know, I want that person to be my wingman. When I hand my case over, I want them to go through it with a fine tooth comb. I want them to look at every single thing and and to check me and make sure that I didn't miss anything. Because if something's going to be found, I want to know about it right then and there so that I can kind of go back and, and address that latent print that maybe I didn't spend enough time on, or maybe I didn't look at appropriately, or Maybe I initially my initial glance was, okay, it's no value, move on, but then they kind of come back and show me something that I didn't see before. And right. I think, you know, in verification, that's one of those continually learning processes.
0: Great. Well, um, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're going we're to grab a, another person just kind of out of the crowd here. But I'm um, um, glad you can drop in for the podcast. I'm assuming you, you've been a long-time listener,
2: first-time uh, caller, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. No, well, thanks it was for great coming out. Thank yeah, you yeah. for
0: sharing your opinion.
2: Well, thank you very much. All right.
0: All right. I think we managed to, to pull in another guest from the, the crowd, just kind of walking by. Why don't you introduce yourself to our podcast listeners?
3: Thank you. My name is Linda Manigault. I, um, I've been doing latent print um, comparison work for about eight years now. So I'm currently working for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department as a forensic scientist comparing latent print evidence. And I'm here at the IAI this year, and I'm having a great time, and I'm learning a lot. And you've been on the podcast before, if I recall. I have been on the podcast before. You have? I thought thought we were...
1: Pajama party. That's right. Oh,
3: that's right! Actually, I heard that you had a groupie. Um, and I was very offended because
0: I'm your original group. Yes, you were. Um, we, you, Yolinda was our first uh, super fan. I, I'm pretty sure because uh, we we uh, Ooh, we put on a question to the listeners about a couple of years ago now, asking how many hours of podcast material we've put out so far. And just like a day or two later, all of a sudden, Linda comes back and said, well, here you go, here is the total calculation, and and gave that back to us. Absolutely. So, (laughs) Are you
3: following us on Twitter? I am not following you on Twitter because oh, I am not boy. like
1: not that super fan. I'm state sorry.
3: <laughs> yes, I and it's funny because I'm I'm down to just Instagram. Oh, okay. all
1: right, that's fine. I, I even up.
3: Facebook I let go. Oh, I'm yeah. like I'm old. I'm sorry, that's I can't right. keep up with but so much. That's what
0: the new kids are doing now is the they, Instagram. In
1: fact, they are following us though on Twitter at Double Loop Pod. That's at Double Loop Pod on Twitter. Please follow us, and we're always trying to put out new content. And uh, we'd like to have you follow us and share your
0: things with us as well. Absolutely. Um, so, Linda, you've uh, what uh, you've been to an II tr- uh, conference before, right? What, what number II conference is this for you?
3: Oh my goodness, this might be like four or five. I okay. think.
0: So you're you're an experienced AI conference veteran, a veteran. I, I prefer AI conferencer. I think that's the more correct term. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what you know, like we've said earlier with our previous guest, um, it's only been a, you know a day and a half. We're two days in basically. Uh, but what have you seen so far that you found interesting, cool? Uh, what did some, you learn? Yeah, what did you learn?
3: Well, there's been a lot of buzz about the FR stat, uh, Ah. FR stats, right? Yes. From Swafford. Those
1: statistical models. (laughs) Yes. So,
3: um, you know, I was, I made sure I signed up for that workshop because I feel like that's the next thing. That's the next trending topic. You know, stats, you know, are we going to produce a number for for when we're testifying? And um, so I was very eager. I was very interested in that and taking his um, workshop. Because I feel like even if we don't use it, well, what if I'm asked that question? Exactly. Why don't you use it? Well, I want to at least be able to say, well, I took it. This is why we're considering it or this is why we're not considering it. So I took it and... um, it was great. It was a great course. It was, you know, he's very knowledgeable. Um, he's a good instructor. He's a good instructor. He pays attention
1: to his students and that they're following I or not. really
3: appreciated how he, um, if you asked a question, he reworded the question. And it was, I can tell that was a way of making sure he had the question right before he answered it. Um, I really appreciated knowing a lot more background into FR stats. Because, of course, um, I'm not a statistics person. Person per se, and I think our biggest fear is not necessarily the math, but explaining the math to a jury. Right. And so my thing was, you know, well, I want to be able to talk about it, explain this to me, and it, and help me explain it because I think that's our greatest. When we when we can teach something, when we can explain it, yep. we know it. Right. Yep. And so well, the first thing I have to do is take the class. So I did that, and um, I really appreciated his class today. Um, I also took a class by um, Aldo Mattai. I, I might be saying his name yeah, wrong. Aldo Mattei. Matei on, um, on um, likelihood ratios. And I appre- what I appreciated about that class was um, I've taken, of course, statistics before, but never had the examples in a latent print analysis framework. Like sometimes they give you the birthday equation, or they give you all these illustrations, and they—they're not latent print ec- illustrations. Right, right, right. But I'm an—I'm an analyst. I'm trained in latent print analysis, so putting it in a latent print analysis framework opened it up for me it in a different relatable. way. It made it relatable in a way that I'm using today. That's
1: great. No, that, so that, I got.
3: That's great. I, I've been here two days and my mind is like, <laughs> like, like expanded. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm getting a lot. lot. And yeah.
0: I, I've come across quite a few people so far in just these first two days that for one workshop or lecture or another, they just minds have been blown. So that, that's, that's, that is a successful conference. Yes. And,
1: yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, we've had two people on right now and they had different things that they focused on. Exactly. That's fantastic.
0: That's so good. Well, Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to close out uh, this, uh, this well, maybe a bridged episode of the Double loop Podcast, um, uh, but at least bringing you in live. Uh, they kind of ran out of wine, so they also ran out of people. People
3: are <laughs> <laughs> clearing out. I still have a little
0: bit. I'll help you with that.
1: Oh, goodness. no, it's white wine. Oh, no, no i can't drink the wine. Can't white. help you. Uh, I have a little bit But,
0: uh... Um, I, I, well, we're going to do some other stuff here this week uh, at the conference, and uh, glad you guys out there in podcast land you know, are listening and, and hope you feel kind of included in the conference and uh, hope to see you guys here soon at the next conference, uh, whether it's the II or regional thing or whatever. Um, uh, it's always great to catch up with latent Print friends. Before we close out, though, um, Glenn has kind of something special he wants to, to announce, and uh, I think this is probably the uh, the best time to do so. So, Glenn, why don't you uh, why don't you tell people what 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 you've decided here uh, recently? I've decided that I'm from Planet
1: Milnet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my decision. I've made this decision. I've looked no, at no, no,
0: Alf Langenberg, right. people.
1: No, 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 no. I um, this is. This is news I just wanted to share with our listeners, and this has been coming for a little bit, but uh, I finally wanted to make the announcement on the I.I. episode. I am leaving my current agency, my job. Currently, I'm a drug chemistry supervisor by the Forensic Scientist for the state of Minnesota. I'm leaving that position, and I'm terrified but excited (laughs) to be uh, going fully private, consulting, training, research, traveling. Vendoring, more consulting, all the fun stuff that I've been saying no to over the years because it just I, I couldn't do it. But now that I'm going to have more time, I just I really want to get out there and get back into the field doing fun stuff. This is the best time to be in the field of fingerprints. It's the best time to be a forensic scientist. And I, I just don't want to be missing that for the next 10 to 20 years um and you know if i fall flat on my face i'll go looking for a job <laughs> at some crime lab but for now i just kind of want to do my own private cases and fun research and travel and teach I, I I can't wait to be teaching more a lot more classes and just out there in the field so that's
3: awesome news um, and congratulations i'm excited, I'm excited you for, for thank you, you.
0: Thank i you. am excited and terrified for you at the same time thank you very um, much because I, I i i know what 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 you mean by that and uh and just vicariously through you feel are feeling the same way for you so I, Thanks, I, I, I hope that all works out and like you said that you can have the time of your life doing this, this private stuff and, and helping the field and clients and students even more than, uh, than you're able to currently. Yeah. And, I, and honestly, it'll give me more
1: time to focus on our podcast. There's more things that you and I can be doing. There's more things we want to do for the community through our podcast. You know, the behind-the-walls of the podcast where we have special content for listeners, where we've got training exercises and special videos and all the kinds of things we want to do that we just don't have the time to, I'm going to be making that time. And I know you're going to want to be doing that, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, um and uh, yeah, Glenn's uh, Glenn's volunteered to, to learn some stuff about the podcast editing, so I'm excited to teach him uh, the ins and outs of uh, of editing, and um, and uh, and. And hopefully, I'm a good enough teacher where you won't even notice the difference between who edits each podcast. <laughs> I
3: just want to. Um, oh, be a great game. Oh, yeah. I want to <laughs> offer my services as a baggage handler. Oh. So whenever you're traveling, oh. I can, oh, yeah. I can help you with your luggage. I believe that's
0: called a valet or valet.
3: Look, I don't care what you call it. Sherpa.
0: <laughs> I think Sherpa is the correct. I don't correct even.
3: Term. I don't even. I have. I. I don't even care what you call it. I see. Okay. <laughs> I offered these services to Eric, I? and he has not um, taken me up on them yet. But
1: all right, well, I'm
3: plugging you now. Uh, thank
1: you. <laughs> so, no, I do think that would be a great game. Who edited this episode?
0: <laughs> and then we'll poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most Eric, Glenn, or the most uninteresting game <laughs> ever on the internet. Um, so, with that, we'll close out. Um, so, just our kind of standard closing our opinions are our own and don't represent any agency that us or our guests may represent. Uh, you can contact us. Eric at RayForensics.com, Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com, at DoubleLoopPod on Twitter, and uh, with that, uh, we're going to close out and uh, talk to you guys next time. Have a great one! Bye, everybody. Have a have a good week.